Welcome to Abundant Life Church. Refreshments are available in the Life Cafe. And please, keep our theater clean by disposing of trash in specified containers. And remember, gift certificates are available for any special occasion. Enjoy the message. Abundant Life. How are you? Isn't that great, huh? Isn't that great? Good to see you guys today. I am so glad all of you are here. Those of you joining us online, welcome today. We are starting a new Christmas series called Flixmas. Brand new series, never taught any of this, this at least this way before, and uh, it's just good to have you here. I'm so glad that you're here. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good, 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 good. All right, now we're moving into the Christmas season. So we're starting the series called Flixmas, and what we're doing is we're looking at some of the great Christmas movies. How many of you watch more Christmas, watch more movies during the Christmas season than you do any other time of the year? Okay, quite a few of you do. How many of you just don't watch movies at all? Okay, and you think you're just not going to come back to this series? Anybody? No? Okay, I see that hand. Okay, no. I'm glad you're here, and we are looking at four great Christmas movies. Now, next week is my favorite, and it's Christmas Vacation. Yes. How many of you like Christmas Vacation? Raise your hand. Yes, you're my kind of people. You're my kind of people. And then we're going to be looking at Elf and Home Alone. Today, we're looking at a Charlie Brown Christmas. How many of you here have seen a Charlie Brown Christmas? Raise your hand. Great movie. Great movie. I saw it for the first time, 6 a.m. this morning. I kid you not. Dave and I were talking about the movies. I said, it just occurs to me, I've never, I don't think, ever seen a Charlie Brown Christmas in its entirety. He says, you need to watch the movie. My goodness, if you're going to be teaching a message that's kind of based on this, you at least need to watch the movie. So I intended to watch it earlier this week and just didn't get a chance. And so at 6 a.m. this morning, sitting in the restaurant, drinking a cup of coffee, watching a Charlie Brown Christmas it's a good movie. That's a lot of great lessons that we can pull out of that, uh, that movie. And so, by the way, you know, it was uh, produced in 1965. So that makes this the 50th anniversary, right? Yes, the 50th. I think they're airing, airing it tonight. And uh, so you can see it and you can watch it anywhere. You can, I watch it on my computer. And uh, 1965, when I was 10 years old when, when this came out. And so here's an open, here's one of the clips, not the opening, but one of the clips to the, uh, the movie. I don't know, Linus. I just don't know. Well, I guess we better concentrate on finding a nice Christmas tree. I suggest we try those searchlights, Charlie Brown. The 
This really brings Christmas close to a person. Fantastic. Charlie Brown, remember what Lucy said? This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. I don't care. We'll decorate it, and it'll be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. So there you go. What is it about this movie that people are so drawn to? What do you think it is? I think it's the simplicity of the movie. And the fact that it brings us back to the true meaning of Christmas. You know, when Charles Schultz was um, writing this movie and was going to present it, his producer said that uh, unless you take out that uh, reading of the uh, Christmas story, we're not going to air the movie. We're not going to show the movie. And he says, well, if, if I have to take that out, I ain't going to do the movie. And so it stays in. And it actually is where the, the whole story culminates with the reading of the Christmas story. So it brings us all the way back to the meaning of Christmas. And as you look at the movie, what's, what's the symbol that's kind of throughout the movie, kind of the centerpiece? It's that little tree, right? And so if you know the story, you know Lucy um, gives Charlie Brown this assignment to go find the Christmas tree for the play. And get, the, get this fancy schmancy one. Try to get the new aluminum tree and make it pink if possible. And so he goes and he finds this little lone pine tree that's like half dead. And he, and he says, this is the one for the play. And besides, I think it needs me. And so he takes the tree and he takes it back. And what, what do they do? They laugh at Charlie Brown. They say, you're such a flub up. Charlie Brown, you're such a mess up. Why can't you get anything right? And that tree, they just mocked the tree and laughed at the tree. And then as you think about it, the little tree, I think, in some way or another, is representative of Jesus. And how when Jesus came, came very weak, dependent upon human beings, and in a very, very simple way, he came. And what happened when Jesus came, do you remember? People laughed at him. They mocked him. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see where it talks about that. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And so, and so Jesus comes. And when he comes onto the scene, he wasn't exactly what people were expecting. And they were surprised. And so, as a result, they rejected Jesus. In fact, again, you'll see in Isaiah 53, he was despised and he was rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. That's the way people responded to Jesus. Much the same way they responded to this little tree in the movie. In John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. 
Even they rejected him. So you can see there's so much symbolism that takes place there. The little tree, laughed at, mocked, rejected. But then in the end, they kind of gather around and they sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And very appreciatively, they're brought back to the real meaning of Christmas. Jesus came, very weak, very humble, rejected. And we know that Jesus is going to return. And as the Bible tells us, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And so there's so much. And, and so I want to read this story. And as we do, I want to look at it from the, from the lenses of simplicity because everything about the Christmas story is, is simple. It's so simple. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. About this time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the whole nation. The census was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for his, this registration. And because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go back to Bethlehem in Judea, King David's ancient home, and journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn child, a son. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the village inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel appeared among them and the landscape shone bright with glory of the Lord. And they were badly frightened. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he says. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced, and it's for everyone, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been, brought, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. How will you recognize him? You will find a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang, and peace on earth for all those pleasing him. And when this great army of angels had returned again to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they ran to the village, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story expressed astonishment. But Mary treasured these things in her heart, and she often thought about them. And then the shepherds went back again to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels and because they had seen the child just as the angel had told them. I want you to think about this for just a moment, this incredible story of God coming to this planet, Jesus being born. And I want you to think about this through the word simplicity, because I think there's something in all of us that longs for the simplicity of Christmas. I was leaving the restaurant this morning. I often go to the restaurant and... Uh, uh, where I watch movies before I, I come and, and um, teach a sermon. And as I was leaving, with, without me saying anything, and she knows I'm a pastor, she says, you know, the Christmas season, you know, it's just it's so busy. And I was raised back in the 70s, and it was back when we got to spend time with families. And it's become so complex. It's become so busy, so rushed, all this. I just wish it could just be 
more simple. And I said, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. It's kind of like a confirmation, you know, from God. This is what people need to hear today. In fact, I got in the car and said, thank you, Lord, for that confirmation because I know she needs it, and I'll bet there are a lot of people here. You just, you long for the simplicity of Christmas. It's, it's not that there's anything wrong with the lights. It's not that there's anything wrong with the shopping or, you know, all the rush and the hustle and the bustle. I mean, some of that's fun. For some of, how many of you look forward to that? I mean, you actually like that. Raise your hand. Okay, some of you do, and that's okay. That's not a trick question, because it's okay. It's, there's something in some of us that, that like that. And, but I'll bet even with you, even deep down in the deepest parts of your heart, your being, there's something that longs for that, that sim, simple message. And for a lot of us, it's like, man, I just, I just wish things could slow down. And I wish they wouldn't be so complex. And so as we look at this story, I want you to see something. I want you to see the story today through the lens of simplicity, a simple Christmas. Some of these are going to be very obvious to you. For example, Jesus had a very simple beginning, just a very simple beginning. You ever wonder why God chose to enter the world, planet Earth, this time, this way? You know, I think it's Galatians 4.4 that says, in the fullness of time, you know, God came. And so it was exactly, exactly when God wanted it to happen. But it's almost as if he went to great pain to make sure it was very simple. And so he shows up, and it's not like Jesus shows on to the scene as some superhero, not some action figure, not some Roman, not some conquering king who comes riding in on a, on a horse not some emperor, but just a very simple and a humble baby whose job it was basically to grow up and love people. That, that, that was it. And we read this story, and we read things like in verse 7, she wrapped him in a blanket and she laid him in a manger because there wasn't any room for them in the village inn. When you think of a manger, what do you picture? How many of you picture that little wooden thing that's so cozy and comfy, maybe not so comfy, but cozy, and that straw hanging out. How many of that's the picture you get of a manger? I mean, that's, that's what we're used to seeing. You see them in all the manger scenes and all this stuff and the nativity scenes. But that's not what it was. I hate to burst your bubble, but that's not what it was. You know what they put Jesus in? It's a feeding trough. Animals fed out. This is a picture of one right here. A feeding trough. I, I've seen those. I, that's what they, they put them in. And how many of you have an animal at home? I, I don't mean like cow. I mean like, like a dog or, or, a, or a cat. You know, if you have a cat, you know, God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but if you have a dog, you know, we have a dog, a little Baxter. Baxter's the wonder dog, I call him. And he's a little, um, what is he? A silky terrier. And he's got this little beard hanging down, and he drinks like nobody's business. That, that dog drank forever. And then he can pee forever. And he, then he yaks. He yaks all over the place. And so, and so, you know, then he jumps up on the couch and he's dripping water all over me and everything else. And, and yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't it's, it's Ann's dog. It's not my dog. But <laughs> we know this. We have this arrangement, don't we? Yes, we do. And so I can imagine, I never wash this bowl. I, I don't know. Do you ever wash this bowl? No, not really. So nobody really washes dog bowls, do they? I mean, they probably do. You do? Okay, that's probably your nice dog owners. 
But can you picture, I mean, they put this baby in this feeding trough. I mean, they feed animals in this thing. And there's no place to put him. Where are you going to put, put, put him here? Put him in the field. Get the, get the junk out of there. Get the saliva and all the drool and yak and stuff out of there. Clean it up a bit and put the baby in there. And that's where they put him. That's the manger that it's talking about. And then we picture, you know, there was no room for him in the inn. You know, how many of you picture, you know, they're rushing from house to house, from looking for an inn. They're looking for like the village inn, like, a, like a Howard Johnson's or, or, you know, a Marriott or something. No vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. They're running all over town. There's no vacancy. That's kind of the picture we get. But my guess is they probably... You know, when maybe from maybe a peasant house to a peasant house, because when it says in the room, there really means guest room. It, it's like a guest room. And the way the houses were built back then, the little peasant shacks, basically they were built around a courtyard. And so they would have this courtyard, and then the house would start, and then another part was added on for a son when he got married, and then another son got married, and the family grew, and they all kind of grew together, maybe different floors and all this stuff. But off the side of the court, uh, courtyard, many times, it would lead into a basement area, or would, would probably be a cave that would have been dug out of, of soft limestone. That's, that's pretty typical. And so sometimes we wonder, well, was Jesus born in a cave? Would they put him in a cave? Was he in an inn? Was he in a stable? Was he in a stall? What was the inn? Well, it's probably some of all of this, this stuff. And so what would happen is these, these caves that were off the courtyard, oftentimes they would be used to uh, keep the um, olive oil or wine and um, hay and straw and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And the animals stayed there. Because you would have like maybe oxen or sheep or something like that, and you didn't want them to get stolen at night, and so they would bring them in because these were prized possessions, and they'd bring them into the cave. Well, so they probably show up, and there's no room in the guest room. There's no room in the inn. There's no room in the guest room, which is probably at the other end of the house. And they say, the only place we can put him is in the cave. And, and so let's clean it out, and let's put him there and stick him in the feeding trough. Very simple. And then they wrapped him in what we often refer to as swaddling clothes. You know, strips of linen maybe could have been a blanket. It would have been because it was the cheapest and most convenient thing they could have done. Still do that today. And so the picture I'm painting is that Jesus beginning his coming to this earth, it was a very, very, very simple, very simple beginning. And this is God coming to earth. This is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and this is his beginning. One of my favorite authors is Max Lucado. He says, the royal throne room, no tapestries covering the windows, no velvet garments, and no satin pillows. The sounds in the court, cows munching, hooves crunching, a mother humming, and a baby crying. It could have begun anywhere, the story of the king, but it began in a manger. So it started. Simple. Very simple. At a very simple beginning. Here's the second thing I noticed. Jesus came to simple people. He came to simple people. 
Again, when you stop and think about to whom it was God made the announcement, the very first people to whom he made the announcement that my son has entered into the world and he chooses shepherds. In verse 8, that night some shepherds were in the field and he chooses to go to them. The shepherds, the, the, the simplest of all the people that he could have chosen, they would have been the shepherds. I mean, they were the poorest of the poor. They were uneducated. They, they smelled. They, uh, they weren't allowed in the temple area because they handled animals and they had messed with poop and all that stuff that they had to deal with. And so they were unclean, uneducated. They were notoriously dishonest people. And so really nobody, nobody wanted them around. And God chose to make the announcement of the birth of his son to shepherds first. Simple, simple people. I just find that to be very, very interesting. That that he chose the simplest people on earth to hear this most profound message. And so that's the birth. No birthing room. No baby showers. No doctors, no nurses, no fancy IVs, no epidurals, no invitations, no teddy bears, no balloons, no cigars, no hey, it's a boy, no phone calls to the parents. None of that stuff. Just very, very, very simple. It couldn't have been any simpler. It's almost like God took great pains not to come in the splendor and the majesty and the hoopla of what it could have been. Everything about his coming speaks about the simplicity of God. And then as you read further, you notice something else. Jesus offered a very simple solution. A very simple solution. How many of you would agree with me that the world in which we live today is incredibly complex? It's very complex. When you stop and think about it, we have uh, wars. We're living in the middle of a war right now. Terrorism, the threat of terrorism is all-time high. The economy is in horrible shape. There's earthquakes and all other kinds of natural disasters, famines, poverty. Anymore, I'd turn on the radio in the morning as I'm driving, just turn on for a few moments, just want to listen. You know, what's the latest catastrophe? What's the latest disaster? What's the latest tragedy? If you don't hear anything, oh, turn it off. I guess there's no attacks yet today. And the world we live in, is just it's incredibly complex today. People have complex problems today. You know people. I know people. We are some of those people who have complex relational issues, financial issues, health issues. And sometimes we despair in even trying to help people because we find it difficult to manage our own lives sometimes. And the world is just incredibly complex. And yet Jesus comes and he offers a very simple solution. In fact, in verse 11, this is how the angels express it. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. He's been born tonight right here in Bethlehem. And then you see another prophecy there I've given you in in Micah 5 too. And some people, when they read this and they think about, you know, this whole story, some people laugh. 
Some people just dismiss it, and, and they, they think of Jesus being the answer to the complex problems of this world today. You've got to be kidding me. That is so simplistic to think that, that Jesus is really the answer to the world's problems today. That's so simplistic. And there are other people who just kind of dismiss it as a, as a nice legend. It's harmless enough. But to really consider Jesus as, as, a, as, as a serious solution to my problems, that's just crazy. That's simplistic. That's too simplistic. When all the while, stop and think about this, all the while, what does God know about you and me? God knows that our biggest problem, our deepest problem today is sin. Just, I mean, to make it really simple, it's sin. That's our biggest problem today. And so God knowing that, he sent to us a savior to save us from our sin. Now, I don't know what you're looking to today to solve your problem. I'm not sure what you think is going to solve your problem because we're right now in a really hot and heavy political system season. I mean, I've been listening to political stuff probably in the last three or four months, and I've listened to my entire life because it's so hot, it's so heavy right now, what's going on in our world. In fact, I just need to stay in touch. But for me to think that the answer to the problems in our society today is who's elected as the next president, and to say, okay, the real problem with our world today is the leadership. I, I think there could be problems there. Some people say it's border patrol. Some people say it's the economy. Some people say it's the climate. This says all kinds of stuff is a problem. And if we could get those figured out, then everything would be okay. Guess what? No, it wouldn't. It would not be figured out because we're human beings. We're very simple human beings. And it would just be a matter of time before we'd mess it all up again. Because the problem... The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's the problem. I'd almost guarantee you that whatever major issue you're dealing with right now, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And God knows that unless we solve the problem of the heart, we'll always have problems. In fact, Jeremiah, way back in the Old Testament, says the human heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? Do you ever have a hard time figuring out your own self? Raise your hand. Do you ever get frustrated with yourself? I do. I get frustrated with me because I know my heart can be so tainted. It can be so evil. It can be so wicked. It can be so sinful. And, and I think, why do I think things like that? Why do I say things like that? And it really comes back to the heart of the problem being the problem with the heart. And God knows that until we solve that problem, we're always going to have problems. And so the solution is as simple as a baby born in a major. Today, a Savior is born, and you will give him the name Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. That's the answer. It's so profound, yet it's so simple. He gives us a very simple solution. Let me read to you again from Max Ocato. I just I've always appreciated the way he expresses things. <clears throat> it happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment, but that moment was like none other. 
God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and, the, and floated in the amniotic fluid of his mother. God had come near. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. One thing is for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything that you and I feel. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to willing women. He got colds. He burped. He had body odor. His feelings got hurt. He got tired. To think of Jesus in such light, it's like it's almost irreverent, isn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he's never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the muck and the mire of our world. For only as we let him in can he pull us out. Jesus really is the solution. It's that simple. And then as you look further, Jesus actually asked for a simple decision. It's not complicated. He asked for a very simple decision. When the message came to the shepherds, their response was, come on, let's go. Let's, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that the angels have told us about. Wouldn't it be great if everybody you ever spoke to about Jesus, they said, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Wow. Tell me more. Tell me more. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, how different would our world be if people who had never heard of Jesus or people that you so de desired to come to know Christ would say, ah, man, would you just tell me more about that? I just, I, Lord, I want to hear more. Wouldn't it be great? But it's that simple. I mean, the, 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 he asked for a simple decision. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, what's that word? Believes, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That whosoever would, would obey all of the rules, who, whosoever would keep all of the commandments, whosoever could, could finally become a good person, who, whosoever could get their act together and keep their act together, would receive eternal life. No, it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. He says, whosoever believes if in your heart you just believe, you, you don't even have to understand it all. I mean, you have to, I guess, understand that God loves you and God sent his son for you and he wants you 
to spend eternity with him, you, I guess, understand that. But to try to get your, your mind around all of the complexity of that and how profound that is, you and I can't do it. But you can reduce it down. It's that simple. Just believe me. And he's given us incredible proof with, with the empty tomb, by the way. And so Jesus asks for a simple decision. And then Jesus invites us to share his simple mission. It's just a very simple mission. In verse 17, the shepherds, they went and told everybody. I mean, they went and saw Jesus, and then they went and told everybody. And Jesus invites us to do the same thing. I'll bet there are people in your life right now who desperately need to know about Jesus. But maybe you're afraid to bring up the conversation because you want to get in an argument, or they're going to reject you, or they're going to laugh at you, they're going to call you an idiot, or whatever, and, and we make it more complicated than it needs to be. He said, just tell them about Jesus. If they laugh, let them laugh. If they reject you, let them reject you. If they call you stupid, let them call you stupid. That's okay. It's not your job to convince them. It's not your job to convict them. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You just tell them. Just tell them. Everything about the coming of God speaks of simplicity. Jesus' whole life on this earth, his whole mission was one of simplicity. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That was his mission. It was that simple. Our mission here at Abundant Life is a simple mission. Can, can anybody tell me, by the way, what is our mission? Abundant Life Church exists to? Okay, that's the second half. That's the part where we complicated it. Okay, I do, I do love that, though. But the, but the first part of that, abundant life exists to reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our mission. Probably 15 years ago, Pastor Dave and I were up in an office, and, and we were trying to figure out what's the mission of this church. And we were trying to get all complicated and smart and intelligent and sound, you know, bright. And we had all these words, and we had, you know, this and that, and you got charts and all this stuff. And we were trying to figure out what's the mission of this church and just way overcomplicating the thing. Until finally, I remember it like it happened yesterday. Dave turned to me, and he says, George, why did you come here? And I thought for a second, and I said, we came here to reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ. That's where that comes from. And that's our mission. It's that simple because that's God's mission. That's Jesus' mission, and he invites us to join him in that mission. It's that simple. And then as you read this story a little bit further, the, the wonder of Christmas, it should move us to simply reflect. The wonder of this story should move you and me to just simply just reflect over this. I love the response regarding Mary in verse 19. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart. And I love this line. And she often thought about them. Isn't that great? I think, man, that's it right there. That's the sim simple message of Christmas. When's the last time that you were able to just sit and simply think about Jesus and how much he loves you. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that this Christmas? And so let me give you some practical steps to simply enjoy Christmas, just really quick, and, and, and just, just a few here. Here's number one. Slow down. <laughs> just slow down. How many of you would say, I'd love to just slow down a little bit for Christmas. Can I see your hand if you just want to slow down a little bit? 
Okay, if, if nobody, I'll move on. Okay, so, okay. Slow, just slow down. It can be so fast-paced and so rushed. Remember when Jesus came to see Mary and Martha kind of dropped in on him? And Martha's hair's on fire. You know, she's running around, you know, doing this and doing that. And Mary stops and she sits at Jesus' feet to listen. And then she, you know, starts complaining. Said, Jesus, tell her to, you know, get off of her behind and, and, and get in here and help and all that stuff. And what did Jesus say? You know, Jesus says, well, you know, she chose the best thing. Here, here's a great Christmas verse for you, Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. <laughs> Some of you got a lot of big stuff coming down the pike, and you just want to slow down. I encourage you, find a way to slow down. You're smart enough. You can figure it out. Find a way to slow down. Here's the next thing. Sit in silence. Find some time in this busy, rushed world of ours and just sit in silence. Would you read Psalm 4610 with me? Let's read this together. Be still and know that I am God. Just be still and know that I am God. Try to find some time in this busy season to just be still and know that he is God. We're so much like Elijah back in the Old Testament. He was stressed out. He was worried. He was afraid. He was running for his life. He was exhausted. He was mentally depleted. He was spiritually dry. Probably things that describe a lot of us in this room right now. And, and the word was that, that God had a word for him. And over in 1 Kings, he was wondering, how's God going to speak to me? And then all of a sudden, this big rushing wind comes along, this storm and this rushing wind. And he thinks, God's going to speak to me in the rushing wind. And he didn't hear the voice of God in the wind. And then this earthquake, God's shaking things up. And he thinks, God's going to speak to me in this earthquake. And he doesn't hear, he doesn't hear God in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. And he knew, he knew that God has spoken before through fire. So maybe this is it. And he doesn't speak through fire. And then as you read this story and you come to the conclusion, God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12, I love this, in a sound of sheer silence. When is the last time you got to sit in just sheer silence? It's almost uncomfortable, isn't it? You're thinking, say something. Because we want to break the silence. And sometimes we, even in God's presence, we feel like we've got to talk. You know, talk, 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 talk. Listen, as I've told you before, don't ever miss an opportunity to shut up. <laughs> and sometimes just in the presence of God, just be quiet and let God speak to you. And then number three, share the story. Just share the story. The shepherds, in verse 17, told everyone what had happened. You know, this lawyer came to Jesus one time and said, what is it I really need to do, Jesus, to please God? And his answer was amazingly simple. He said, love God, love people. If you do that, you'll please God. Love God, love people. How many of you think the world could use a little bit more love right now? You know, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the heart of uh, peanuts and all that stuff, if you have the power to make someone happy, do it. The world needs more of that. Just love people. Don't, don't try to fix people. Don't try to control people. Just love people. I, I love what St. Francis of Assisi said. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Just love people. Just love people. And when you and I start doing this, now we begin to bring back the true, simple meaning of Christmas. I love how 
this movie ends. It ends with the simple message of Christmas. So take a look at this. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a treat. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Would you bow your head and let's pray. God, we thank you that in a world that was even complex back then and is probably even more complex today, that the simple yet profound message breaks through and unto us a Savior is born. Father, we're so thankful that you love us so much that you would choose to enter into our world and into our mess and rescue us. And you've just simply asked us to believe you. Some of you here today maybe have never believed that God loves you. You've never believed Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And if that's your desire today, it's really that simple. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to go off to college. And you certainly don't have to be a pastor. And you don't have to memorize verses. But you do have to know that God loves you and he desires more than anything to forgive you and to save you. But he lets you make the choice. And all you have to do is believe. And so if that's your desire today, I'm going to ask if you would repeat this prayer after me. And for those of you who've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you would also join with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the simple message of Christmas. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and saving me. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.